the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen, good morning, and a uh, happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. I'd like to begin this morning by giving a little bit of uh, background on the celebration of Thanksgiving Day, because I think if we look at the um, chronology um, immediately preceding that first official um, Thanksgiving national holiday, it might lend some perspective um, on it. We're all, you know, we're all familiar with the story of the pilgrims and uh, <laughs> the Native Americans and the feast that they uh, that they had together. But um, Thanksgiving was not established as an American uh, holiday until 1863. Um, those of you familiar with Civil War history certainly are familiar with the events of 1863. On July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of 1863, the Battle of Gettysburg was fought in and around the town of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. The battle with the largest number of casualties in the American Civil War and often described as the turning point of the Civil War. The Union Major General George Meade's Army of the Potomac defeated attacks by the Confederate General Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia, ending Lee's invasion of the North. Estimates are between 46,000 and 51,000 soldiers from both armies were uh, casualties in that three-day battle. That's wounded and dead. The total dead within that figure of, of 51,000 was 8,900 soldiers in a three-day battle. Um, it, it's hard to fathom, but just to give a little bit of, uh, of perspective on that, in contrast to this three-day battle, the, our eight-plus years War on Terrorism, beginning with the Iraq War in March of 2003, has thus far produced approximately 43,000 U.S. military um, casualties, that is, wounded and dead, and within that 43,000 number, 6,000 U.S. military dead. Again, that's no small numbers, but you compare three days and eight years. It kind of gives you some sense of the proportion and the enormity, uh, the catastrophe of this uh, battle of Gettysburg. On October 
third, three months later, 1863, President Lincoln issued a Thanksgiving proclamation and officially set aside the last Thursday of November as a national day for Thanksgiving. On November 19, 1863, President Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address at the dedication of the Soldiers National Cemetery. President Lincoln used the dedication of the cemetery for the Gettysburg uh, National Cemetery to honor the fallen Union soldiers, but to redefine the purpose of the war in his historic Gettysburg Address. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, that all men are created equal. And I would like to come back to that phrase in just a minute. That was on a Thursday, November 19th, and the following Thursday, November 26, 1863, our nation officially celebrated the first Thanksgiving Day. How joyful was that day? How thanks, thankful was the nation on that day? Sometimes we have to, we have to push ourselves to give thanks in adversity. Father Alexander Schmemann, of blessed memory, passed from this life in 1983. His last divine liturgy was on Thanksgiving Day, 1983. And in a prayer that he offered on that day, he said, Lord, we're thankful today for all the sufferings that you have bestowed upon us. For they purify us from everything that's evil and remind us of the one thing that is needful, your eternal kingdom. There was certainly a national pall over that first Thanksgiving day, that first official Thanksgiving holiday, but I think maybe there was some sense in the nation at that time that we as a nation were being purified from something that was evil and that God was reminding us as a nation of the one thing needful. And I think it's good for us to remind ourselves each year the early beginnings of this national holiday. Today in the gospel lesson, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you that a rich man can hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven, Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. 
I think our knee-jerk reaction would be to move right toward that and start beating up and wanking on the rich. <laughs> I don't know that that was really the message that Jesus was uh, delivering. St. Nikolai, in his commentary on this passage, certainly doesn't uh, go there in that way. He says, Wealth is not evil in itself. Nothing that God has created is evil in itself. But men's bondage to riches, lands, possessions is evil. And the destructive passions that the riches empower and evoke such as adultery, gluttony, drunkenness, miserliness, boastfulness, self-praise, vanity, pride, scornfulness, denigration of the poor, forgetfulness of God, and so on and so forth, ad infinitum, are evil. Few are there who have the strength to resist the temptations of riches and to be in control of their wealth, not becoming its servants and slaves. I think if I could just offer a perspective or a summary on this, not that I'm some expert on wealth, but this seems to me a reminder that it's God's wealth, not my wealth. Wealth is not evil in itself as God has created. Not, God didn't create anything evil. Oh, God created wealth? I thought I did. You know, if I create wealth, and it's mine, I'm going to say, I don't want anybody telling me how to spend my money. If it's God's wealth, and I'm the steward and administrator, I'm going to seek counsel and advice of how I should distribute it. Wisely. St. Nikolai contrasts the rich and the poor, but a lot of other disparities. I would like to think of it as the contrast of inequality. Well, I thought we just got through saying that we're all equal. God created all men equal. We did create all men equal. In our nature, according to our nature, According to, uh, to our body and soul united in a person, all united into one humanity, yes, we're all created equal. Are we all born into wealth? Are we all born into poverty? Are we all oriented and bent towards high academic achievement? Are we all agile 
at making things with our hands? Are we all born with the, the, the same body in terms of uh, uh, athletic ability? Or perhaps uh, some uh, physical challenge from our birth? What's equal about that? He says, the rich man finds it um, difficult to fast, and without fasting there's no taming of the body, no humility, no true prayer. Therefore the Lord says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But saying this, he doesn't say that it's easy for the poor man to enter the kingdom of God. This is my corner. Get off of here. Get out of here. It's my corner. I called it first. I don't need your charity. Go away. Go buy yourself a hamburger. You know, we can kill our souls with our attitude. I don't care which side of the fence we're on. <laughs> there will be no salvation for the rich who is mean and proud, and there will be no <clears throat> salvation for the poor man who complains of his lot and despairs of God's help. He goes on to say, the rich are saved by the poor. Because now I have somebody to give God's wealth to. And the poor man is saved by the rich man because he has to, now he has some perspective to suffer patience and endurance and to be humble and to say thank you. He says that the, the teachers need students. The, not, the knowledgeable need, uh, need the ignorant. We think about the university system. We think about all the money and independence that the university has, system has, but where would they be without students? Don't they need students? <laughs> I mean, if it weren't for all you poor, ignorant souls, I wouldn't have anybody to preach to. That was a joke, by the way. I really think that the problem, you know, we've got people crying out that the problem is, is capitalism and, the, you know, the 1% versus the 99. Well, I guess in America we can all express our opinion. I'll express my opinion. 
I think the problem of America is the loss of community. The problem of America is the loss of community and our independence from each other. St. Nikolai said God can make everybody equal just like that. Okay, we're all equal. What would happen? We all go our own separate way. We're all independent of each other and we don't need any. Salvation is in our interdependence upon each other. Christ came, we heard it in the epistle, to establish this church as the household of faith. The household of the faith. Community. Loss of community. This is our problem. I remember some of the, fir the first conciliar press booklets that were ever printed. One was called A Call to Community. The other one was called, called Coming In from the Cold. And it was the coldness of the loss of community. We enter upon the, the season of Advent. Thanksgiving, to me more often than not, although I'm thankful for the abundance of food on the plate, I feel like it's a call. It's a call to help other people, especially during this time of year. Are you rich? Oh, no, I'm not rich. Yes, you are. You've heard my definition of rich before. Who's rich? Somebody who has more money than I do. That's who's rich. All right, well, I guarantee you there's somebody out there that thinks you have more money than they do. So you're rich. <laughs> We're all rich. <laughs> and especially during this season, this season of Advent, this season of the coming of the Lord, we are called upon, it is placed before us by the Lord God Almighty. The poor man is placed in front of us to soften our hearts, to open our, our hands to help. And to acknowledge once again that it's God's will that He created and I'm His steward. So as we prepare our hearts during this holy season to make a little room for the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts, Let's look for ways in which we can help our fellow human being and uh, look that person in the eye, lift them up, say, Merry Christmas, God bless you. This is from the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you.